Welcome to the Mr. Haircut Show. I'm your host and the star of this performance, Duke Buford. John Ray and Jonathan Green, the Mr. Haircut Boys, had a little trouble with the audio recording of this here performance. They got all cocky and thought that they could record the whole multi-track shebang on one flimsy computing tablet. Well, that sure didn't work out too well and left the recorded audio sounding like a closet full of woodpeckers making popcorn. Furthermore, the whole first half of the episode disappeared into cyberspace like a fish that got smart and didn't want to be caught. Well, that left it up to John, the producer of this here show, and myself, Duke Abernathy, to take this muddled mess of bits and bites and turn it into a piece of art, like that old Hutchins boy making snakes out of brown Play-Doh. It sure was worth rescuing, too. On this here show are two of the finest guests that the Mr. Haircoop boys and myself, Duke Beavers, has ever heard. A young boy by the name of Michael Anderson has his way with the piano synthesizer, like a wolverine giving a moose the what for. The other guest is a feller goes by the name of Ryan McLeod, and he specializes in telling people what's wrong with their heads and making them like each other. Well, without further ado, we'll pick up where the recording starts, with all four of these fellers talking about improvising this music you've been listening to. And for the record, all the music and conversation on this here show were made up on the spot in front of a live audience here in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And you can listen to all the music on the interstate at the address of mrhaircut.org. I'm Duke Dickerson. Thanks for listening. You know, there's, there's, there's. Uh, I've been reading, reading this book about this specific thing. But there's, in when we were talking about emotion and how emotion is this construction. But in, in more of a, of a broken down sense, we're not even talking about emotion. We're just talking about how the brain works and how our brain operates. Is that we're constantly making billions of predictions right. throughout every experience that we have, every perceived experience. Our brain is already making these predictions about what will happen, and then we're simulating what will happen. So the analogy of, uh, of shooting a basketball through a hoop, or catching, let's say catching a basketball from someone. Your brain has already made the prediction of, of that ball being tossed towards you and you moving in the direction that you need to move in order to do it. And when you're good, you've done it so many times that you, you feel like, I'm just good, I can do that, but you're just, your brain has made that prediction so many right. times. Right. So with improv, it's kind of this amazing experience of where you have this meld of pure sensory input, purely sensory input that can feel a little bit like, I don't know where I am, and past experience. So there's not too much, of, too much past experience, and there's not too much sensory input so that you can kind of feel lost, but that it's okay. 
And then when you have this match, when your brain gets a match of that was supposed to happen, then you have this kind of what I think becomes an even more powerful experience than something you knew was going to happen in the first place. Sure. Does that, does that sure, make sense? E except or? that like in a more sort of objective, realist um, perspective, you can react to getting getting it wrong too. It's not just this like uh, confirmation bias of forgetting the misses. Yeah. And um, it's it's more of like, ugh, and then you're the only one. You realize that you're the only one that went to this place. You're the only one that crashed big. You started to build when no one else wanted to build yet. And you're like, <laughs> you're like oh man, shame. So, shame absolutely. Yeah. So like, yeah. in, in order for that to be, I mean, there has to be both sides. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Michael, what, what what happened for you? It really was. Just, I mean, I thought I enjoyed it. I thought that we were actually going somewhere. It's a technical thing for me because like the the arpeggios are on hold. So like once I hit them, they start. So it's just not. It's all technical. Like I think to be technical with improv, it's dangerous because I could easily just go to the piano setting and just do my piano stuff. And we, I can get I can give everyone a rhythm and we can work together. But I've been trying to you know. Do something that's a little bit more um, exciting for me is to try to get like something like this going. Dangerous. Where we can say this, but like that involves him then having to hear it and being yeah. able to stay on tempo. So I think even amidst of the tempo fluxes, I think it was still it was still an entertaining idea because it centered around a tonal center of E, and I thought that was really cool. And so it was one of those jams that kind of like had this big A that was like lots of things happening in the TV, but then at the very end we had this like and that's never showed up before and it was like a different rhythm between us and I think that was a very cool like B section but more like the climax of the whole thing climax not being louder it just was different and it was special so I really enjoyed that I'll turn that off now <laughs> I enjoyed it too I'm, I'm still battling my demons of having too much else to worry about. So I tried to focus on bass more with that one, but there's still like, I'm thinking about the sound in the room and like how, yeah. you know, the production elements that I need to just be able to set aside. Yeah. So it was, that one, the whole thing was defined by me struggling to like, let go of all that and be in the moment and play. But even so, I felt like it went really well. Like I thought, I, I dug it. From a listener's standpoint, I thought it was cool. Yeah. I've always had the experience of playing music, even even when I even because I was classically trained. Even in that experience, that was less about improv, um, and very structured. There was still this feeling of wow, I'm. I don't want to sound like I'm whining, but it's just like there was this almost sacrifice where you think it's going to be this one way, where you think yeah. you're going to kind of have this like grand pleasure of, ah, oh, I'm playing this music and I'm so confident about it and. You know, it's just sort of sending it up into the, you know, I'm enjoying it as much as the audience is, but it's, it's such a different, it's such a different experience yeah. that you can be having a multitude of experiences, but you're giving something. And I, th I feel, I feel like that's why it's such a gift yeah. of, you know, the audience doesn't, they're, they're not burdened with, with that. You're carrying right. that burden for them. That feeling to me happens every 12 to 15 gigs. <laughs> <laughs> So like maybe twice a month, if I play four times, five times a week, I'll feel it. Yeah. 
Yeah. You'll feel what? Connection? I'll feel or like just that connection, that whole like, yeah, I'm doing this. I'm doing I can, sit, it, down yeah. and, I can like, sit down and enjoy it, feel like I play confidently and it's just right, all working. Right. But yeah, so I'll have to play 12 to 15 times to feel that once for me. Yeah. I think I've got a better ratio than that, but it's, it's definitely not every gig. Yeah. And not every moment. Not every moment. Oh, yeah, you know, definitely. I think right. that's yeah. the key, too. Yeah. But, yeah. A big, part of, a big part of what I do in improvisation, just in general, is I don't give a fuck. <laughs> so, like, the if subtle there's a, art. There's there's a whole a book, full yeah. of fucks, I don't give a single one of them. Yeah. And, and it helps a lot. Like, even if I mess up, you know, say I bombed on that and I was playing, like, I don't know, a B-flat major chord. Pretty cool, actually. That is pretty cool. I mean, it works. I think you should improv on that. See, that's why I don't give a fuck. It's because it all it all works, and I'll make mistakes constantly. Way more mistakes than most people think that I make, because most of my mistakes just are incorporated as ideas and like fuel for for everything else. Yeah. I think for me, it's the difference between groove and sparsity. I think playing, you know, playing with someone like. Jonathan Green, like he's extremely good at groove. He's also good at like actually making the drum, you know, the drum the drums as like an instrument of melody. So yeah. I, you know, I haven't played with you guys as much that as as I want to, but I'm I'm learning like the vibe of when when does Jonathan Green want to um, play more of a melodic drum set, or when is he looking for that groove? And I think that's really important as a team team member of an improv is to figure out when people want to get in a groove. You know. Like, Versus just like, like that last one, I feel like it was more sparsity. We couldn't find that groove because of some technical issues, but like, yeah. So that's something I think about a lot, so. But I don't get a chance to play melodically a lot. So I actually appreciated that last one because of that, because I <laughs> yeah. could think about what you were doing. I was hoping you do that more. Like I was trying to find ways to, without verbally saying, hey, sure. just just play off this. Yeah. It's hard to, it's hard to hear the rhythm. It's not even a... It wasn't even an arpeggio that was worth trying to find the rhythm right. because it was so light. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I makes me. I just. I want to keep trying it. I want to keep doing it. Yeah. So. Right. Well, let's try another one. Yeah, I have a. Oh, let's do let's do our caterpillar. Okay. Yeah. The hungry, that. hungry caterpillar. So you're gonna be reading. Are you going to be reading as we play, or? Yes. This is this is improv. So. You, it can be whatever, yeah, you know. But we're—I'm going to listen to what I you're saying. Start reading Tolstoy, and you—you you know. <laughs> <laughs> How would you know? Hungry, hungry Karamazovs. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll give the setting here. Thank you. 
light of the moon. A little egg lay on a leaf. One Sunday morning, the warm sun came up and popped. Out of the egg came a tiny and very hungry caterpillar. started to look for some food. Let's talk about Monday. On Monday, he ate through one apple. But he was still hungry. Tuesday, he ate through two pears, but he was still, still hungry. On Wednesday, he ate through three plums, <laughs> but he was still hungry. And on Thursday, he ate through four strawberries, but he was still hungry. Friday, 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 he ate through five oranges, five oranges, but he was still hungry. Saturday. On Saturday, he ate through one piece of chocolate cake. Mm -hmm. 
one ice cream cone. One pickle. One slice of Swiss cheese. One slice of salami. One lollipop. One piece of cherry pie. One sausage. One cupcake. And one slice of watermelon. That night, that night, that night, he had a stomach ache. Sunday again. And the caterpillar ate through one, one nice green leaf. And after that, he felt much better. And the good thing is, is now he wasn't hungry anymore. And he wasn't a little caterpillar anymore. He was a big, fat caterpillar. A big, fat caterpillar. And he built a small house called a cocoon around himself. 
He stayed inside for more than two weeks. Read for you by Ryan McLeod. <laughs> wow, that was great. Wow. I love that story even more now. That, that, was, so cool. that was everything I thought it would be. Yeah, it kind of took me back to, uh, you know, that nostalgia of reading Rainbow and, 
and just hearing stories read aloud and um, at work where I work is a Wake Forest School of Medicine and in the Counseling and Wellness Center and we just had some money in our budget to order some books for a library in our waiting room and so we wanted to order all kinds of books not just therapeutic self-help kind of stuff but just novels and poetry and then I got to thinking well there needs to be some children's books in there because I swear for one of the most therapeutic things for me is actually reading children's books I feel like they just are so pure and they're so they, they just cut right to the point and there's nothing there's no a lot of words and concepts to kind of muddy it up it just is so direct and kind of to, back to the earlier conversation I think you had said about less is more I think that really really stands true for something like Very Hungry Caterpillar or all these books like The Giving Tree or Where the Wild Things Are you know you know like 69 words in that book or something and it's right. just like full of full of you know meeting yeah yeah that's great guys yeah i mean it's it's it's, magical. it's cool to create themes to different subjects in that story and i think we did that i think we did that really well oh, so yeah well speaking of that what were you thinking what kind of ideas i mean besides just the words that he was saying well it it's really one theme there's i no, sorry let me take that back there's two themes he's 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 eating a lot and then he goes through this slumber and yeah. then he uh comes out as a new person or a new caterpillar new caterpillar right butterfly is what they're usually so called. we start out with this like and we just kind of played on that and we just kind of like kept growing and growing and building and doing different things but then we went into the kind of the late lazy section and it was a little bit more darker kind of like I like how funky his stomach ache got. Right. Yeah. Very funky. Yeah, really yeah. Like, how do you improv a stomach ache? I don't know. I'm still thinking about that. I think it was pretty cool. I'm still stuck on that. I didn't know what you were doing, but I was playing some out notes that were a little bit different than the out notes you were playing, and it ended up working pretty well, I thought. Well, during that, and this is for the musicians listening, like, to be frank, I could not, it was so low, I could not understand your pitch. Really? I could not figure it out. And I was thinking to myself during the improv, like, I really want to know what you're playing. I really want to know the pitch. I knew the rhythm, uh, but I wanted to know the pitch, and I couldn't do it. And I think like that's one of those moments for me that I was like, kind of, it, it was yeah. taking away from the improv for me because I was like worried. I was almost right. like self-conscious, like, man, it would be great if I knew your pitches. Kind of just yell it out, like, hey, what are you doing? Right. Um, but <laughs> that doesn't work in improv. Let's try that next time. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyways, I I still felt like it worked maybe on a on a very like conceptual idea right. of a stomach ache. Right. Where the stomachs so don't understand what the other half of the stomachs do. Right. This part but of the stomachs... Were, the yeah. butterfly part was awesome to me. I thought that was a really cool rhythm and groove yeah. and everything. So... Yeah, I yeah. like it. I agree. I don't think you and I feel time the same way. Feel time? Yeah. Like, just, like, just tempo. Um, I'm not, and I noticed that where you play with certain musicians and it's easier for you to lock in with certain musicians rather than others. Um, yeah, um, you and I don't think about it the same way. And there are certain people that do think about it the way that I do. And there are some people that are like sort of middle of the road as far as like, I could get on your page, but we're not quite like razor sharp, like I never have to guess. Um, but you're probably further away from the way that I think about time than a lot of the people that I think that. Thank you, with. dude. Appreciate that. 
I don't know what that means. Like, um, <laughs> nope. Because I'm nope. not. I'm not perfect. I'm saying that like I just noticed that like especially like during spaces and stuff, um, and you're you're doing your thing. I I felt like we when we coalesced back into phrasing, we weren't on the same page sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I've, we've played before, and I felt like we were more on the same page, so it could mm-hmm. be just the specific improvs. Well, yeah, because I think we're both listening to, well, we don't have to just listen to each other here. We're listening to something that's, n- like, not musical in the sense that it's, like, the words and the mood and the narrative and stuff. And, you know, yeah. most of the time, specifically with scoring and things like that, classical music in and of itself, it's not strictly metric. As far as like the way it's played, right? Like you, um, and so I'm such I play with metronomes so much that I'm always sort of thinking about. I'm not thinking about time as um, a narrative device. I'm not thinking about speeding up and slowing down as a as a mood as, as a way to uh, convey mood. That's a good point because I do think uh, improv one needs to discuss like that the tempo before right. playing. Right. Are we going to stay at the same tempo or are we going to move to different tempos? That's important to, to discuss. I like, I like, uh, so RK3 plays to a click all the time. And I've gotten to where improvising with a click is really helpful. Like, it, it feels almost like a sense of freedom because that click is there and you just don't have to worry right. about it anymore, really. And it instantly but, tells me, I'm sorry, the, uh, the way that I'm thinking, yeah. you're the way you're thinking about a phrase. Right. Like, I hear a reference to, like, wh- exactly. where, so where is, because sometimes when you play and you just start playing, I don't know where your downbeat is. Right. So I'm like, but when you're playing with a metronome, it's like, oh, this is how he's thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's and, helpful. But there's also, there's a whole different side of me that, that really enjoys playing no click. And I, when I play like that, like what we just did, I'm feeling time a lot more fluidly. Mm. So I think I'm feeling it a lot more like Michael's probably feeling it, which is like fluctuating and breathing and right. like up and down a little bit. Yeah. I'm with, just, I'm the only cla- non-classically trained person in the bunch. <laughs> I don't know if that has anything to do with it personally. I well, feel like it, it's more of just a, it's a conversation worth having. Uh, like sure. if I said to you, hey man, this story is going to have like three sections. If like, oh, literally if we had this one conversation like during the middle section let's like be conscious of a tempo change yeah like yeah, yeah. that's what i was already i was pretty confident i was thinking of that before you even started i knew when you got to the cocoon i knew like i already had these ideas so maybe yeah. that's on my end like i already had all these preconceived ideas of what i'm gonna do and i was like i guess i took the lead on making those ideas and i think that's an interesting thing about improv is like when to make take the lead and yeah. when to let like, when it comes to the moment of change, who's going to take the lead at that moment? And I think that's interesting. See, one of the reasons I like playing with you so much, both you guys, actually, is because you, you understand your instruments in that when you can take the lead and when to fall back and follow. And as a pianist, you take the lead a lot. I mean, just your instrument. You can do so much more harmonically than any other instrument. And so necessarily, you kind of have to take the lead. If you're going to play something interesting as a group, you're going to have to sort of lead it harmonically. Right. And I can lead it from my bass notes and from a groove perspective, and John leads it from the time perspective. But it's all, you know, the whole thing is kind of a dance of, like, leading and following. Yeah. 
So um, the reason that I said what I said, especially about the classically things and this sort of baggage that I'm bringing into the conversation, uh, <laughs> there are articles that are um, that talk specifically about the way that pop musicians feel time versus the way that classical musicians do. It would be an interesting read. I'd um, be interested in your in your perspective on it if you could find the article that I'm talking about and if you agree or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I would love to do that. I, you know, I back to the thing. I feel like we do play in sync. Most of the time, I think that it really comes down to who, what, I'm like, what we're expecting. Sure. Like, a lot of times when I'm not playing rhythm, I'm waiting. There's a lot of waiting and anticipation. Right. And I think that's the, that's the, that's the hard part of an improv is anticipation. So, for me, I feel like I'm the new kid on the block. So, like, um, you guys played a lot together. So, for me, I'm actually listening more than trying to... I know I'm a lead instrument, so it's tricky because I'm like, well, I could go down this route, but, like, is that really what you guys want to do? So that's where it gets tricky. That's not... uh, Well, I'm coming at it from the opposite end. I'm really listening to you a lot because I understood what John was saying about you sort of being taking the lead. You sort of uh, of up front had this melody and... um, and you would sort of signal these changes and come up with these moves, and I'm really sort of on my toes. It's like, oh, this is this new idea here, and I really didn't have time to think about leads. It was more like just paying attention to what's happening in the moment. That's good. So, and maybe that's why you like playing with me, because I'm never thinking, I never once think who's leading right now. Right, I'm right. just thinking about listening to what's happening, listening to the music and thinking, oh, here's this thing, here's this thing, okay, What's now? Oh, there's nothing going on anymore. What uh, now? Do what? Do I make the decision to like keep it sparse with everyone else, or fill up the space that everyone just left? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think you're also really good at presenting ideas, though. Mm-hmm. So not and not even necessarily in a leadership kind of way. You're like, there's somebody needs to do something. Here's an idea. Mm-hmm. Try this. Like leading, leading with that way, leading with ideas, hmm. which is cool. You do that too, I guess. I guess, like, yeah. No, no, abs- I know for a fact. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I thought that last game, I thought, or that last uh, jam, was actually, it was better than the yeah. first one. Well, isn't that about as more interesting as hell? I like the part when they sang that song about the fat caterpillar. I'm Duke Houston, your spiritual guide and cosmic relief for the evening. That's all the time we've got for this show, but them here cut boys left you with one more dance tune that'll make you shimmy like you're running through a herd of weasels. But before I turn this here volume back up, I want to tell you that you can find out more about our guests, Randolph and uh, Peter Anderson, along with Polaroids you can look at and movies you can watch at, all on the interstate, over at mrhereboot.fudge. Thanks for listening. I'm Duke Trout.
remember, kids, if your popsicle tastes like squid, has claws, and shoots ink into your mouth when you lick at it, it might just be a cold squid snuck into your freezer. Check twice before you lick. Until next time, I'm Duke Murphy.